Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we're tackling a product with a purpose a little too close to home. As a follically challenged person, I understand that for some with less perfect head shapes than myself, hair loss can be a confident shaking experience. That's why Kevin Chen built iRestore, the hair growth system that scaled to over 50 employees with big plans to launch a full suite of products designed to restore and maintain epidermally derived confidence to both men and women as they set their sights on becoming a billion dollar beauty empire. Listen to this podcast and you'll hear us discuss why investing early in your product can be a massive moat later on and what it takes to get FDA approval, why 100 digital marketing decisions can be dwarfed by a single phone call when Costco's calling, and how the Kirkland conglomerate added a cool 15% of net new iRestore revenue after it launched, and why a high-risk, high-reward rebrand has Kevin thinking big in beauty. Hope you enjoy this one. On with the show. As growth marketers, we often think about growth hacks and how do we do the next split test, how do we run the next creative test and things like that. But a big lesson I've learned in the last year and a half is we really want to think about ourselves as a business, not just a growth marketing business. There's so much more levers such as offline channels, such as retailers, and that's something we've been investing into. We got in Costco.com last year and it's been huge for us. The tens of millions of eyeballs that you have access to with Costco, not just .com, but in-store, it was huge for us. And that took you know a few emails and a few phone calls. So it's really a big lesson on pulling strategic levers so I can really drive that impact versus just tactical growth hack stuff all day. Do you ever listen to the D2C podcast and think, oh man, I wish I could just hang out with these people in Las Vegas for two days? Well, good news, D2C listeners, because you can C-Suite Las Vegas Mastermind is happening March 23rd, 24th in Las Vegas. We're about halfway sold out at the time of this recording with some of just the most interesting brands. We're going to put about 100 brands in a room. We're going to be programming some amazing content with some amazing speakers. We've got all these different interactive networking and relationship building type events. We're even booking a hot LA comedian to come in and do an hour and they'll probably roast me. You don't want to miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hang out with the D2C crew, the Pilot House crew, a bunch of our favorite speakers, and all the mentors that we programmed for you. You don't want to miss it. Go to directtoconsumer.co slash events and lock in your ticket while they're still available. Kevin, welcome to the D2C podcast. Let's start with the why. Why did you create iRestore? Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me on. So the why is uh, quite interesting. You know, often uh, entrepreneurs start out their journey as a way to scratch their own itch. For mine, it's not my itch, but it's my dad's itch. So my dad was losing hair. He uh, unfortunately had bad genetics. Hopefully it's not coming for me. And uh, he found out about laser therapy for hair loss about 10 years ago as a treatment. And they were available in the clinic. And he thought, well, this is an inconvenient way to get your hair back, to have a visit to the clinic three times a week. It gets expensive. So that began a journey to seek out solutions that are better. And we figured that we can do this better and create a version for home use. So that's what happened and that's how we got here. So it was really to help his own itch. And fortunately, I was coming out of college, I was ready to go into the world and uh, we started this company. You get the best of both worlds. You get to build an empire on hair loss and have great hair naturally. I'm a little jealous, I have to say. But I'll move on. You know, we've talked about uh, in, in our pre-interview, I've actually referenced you a couple times since, just in you talking about your product as sort of a moat in and of itself. 
in some ways because of all of the R and D you essentially put into creating this thing out of you know that wasn't there before. That's hard to replicate. So I wanted to just dive in a little bit on like the actual creation of the product. Like what did uh, like Iron Man? What did Iron Man's Mark One uh, Iris store look like? Yeah, you know, it, it was really a intensive process to get this product created. It's not your typical e-commerce product where, you know, like supplement, you can do three months to launch, little MOQ, right? This is an FDA clear product. We had a clinical study done as well. So it was about a three-year development cycle, starting with, you know, getting an FDA consultant, uh, working with our manufacturer on the prototyping. There were many, many variations that were created until we got something that we're happy with. So it was a whole process to do all that uh, along with then applying for the FDA, that's another six to 12 months process. So it, it really is a laborious process. But what we learned after launching was that it does help a lot post-launch when you have that big barrier to entry, you have fewer competitors naturally. So it, it's a lesson on putting in more work upfront and having an easier time with you know launching a product and customer acquisition and creating a moat around your product. So not that we had the foresight, but you know, looking backwards, it was certainly something that uh, we carried in with us going forward. What was the hardest part of that process of getting this product created? You know, getting the product created, it's getting the FDA to clear it. You know, at the time, this wasn't as popular of a product for hair growth uh, medical devices, so it involved uh, back and forth. You know, the FDA sometimes will take. 60 days to get back to you, and then you have to resubmit documents. Sometimes they kick back things. You have to go back to your labs and redo a test. And so it's it's a painful process to start with, but once you dial it in, you know, we do much better now. Our timeline's a lot faster, but man, back back then we had to read prototype and stuff. It was, it was a pain in the ass. Can you tell me the story of how the product grew? Like from when you had the first the first saleable model, give me the sort of growth story of iRestore and, and, and tell me where you can about where you're at now. Yeah, we started in 2016. So in January 2016, we launched a brand after three years of R&D. First thing we did was we launched on Amazon. So to be totally honest, I didn't know anything about Amazon. I literally just listed on there. I remember getting our first sale and I was just, I was ecstatic. And, uh, you know, we were Amazon only to start the typical stuff, PPC, uh, Amazon launches, getting reviews, all the best practices for Amazon. Learned along the way. And then once we felt like we were tapped out on Amazon Demand, we then moved over and set up our Shopify store about six months later. From there, we did the traditional paid social, Facebook ads, email marketing, uh, pay search. That was back in the good old days of Facebook, so it worked very well. We doubled down on it. I remember our creative game wasn't very good. It was one video we ran repeatedly at every part of the funnel. I'm not even sure I knew what a funnel meant at that point, so it was just running the same video ad over and over again, but... Thank God it worked. It was a good video. Uh, but from there, we matured quite a bit. Uh, seven years later now, we have diversified in other channels. Uh, we're doing influencers. We're doing YouTube, a uh, bunch of things. So, yeah, the team has grown quite a bit. We're, we're about 50 people large now, uh, kind of aiming for that uh, really tall ceiling in terms of what we could reach, and not just here in the States, where we mostly sell, but also globally. And our vision has just become this non-invasive, safe, hair growth brand that everyone can use and everyone wants to use because the truth is that a, a lot of solutions on the market are not as good for you and have a lot of negative side effects and, and we want to be that. So that's a vision for what we want to be. 
we were talking earlier about Turkey. Turkey is this place where you go, you go get your hair replaced by by a little robot that just like does all, you know, puts all your hair plugs in there. And we were talking about that. And it's like those in a way that's not really competition for you because you probably have a B2B presence as well, right? Where you're selling to different clinicians with your product. Yeah, the cool thing about what we do with red light therapy and our solutions is that it's both a possible replacement alternative for these surgical solutions or your drug-based products like minoxidil and finasteride, or it could be additive. So what it does is it simulates blood flow, it improves cellular metabolism and increases ATP production, which is essentially what drives the growth and what increases the nutrient absorption for different products you might be using. So you could use it as a standalone or pair it after a transplant or pair it with the whatever solution you're using. It's all together. It's kind of like working out and taking protein. You kind of, you could do one at a time, but it's probably better if you do everything all together and see the best results. You mentioned best practices in terms of how you grew the company, but what what would you say has been sort of the single biggest lever that you've pulled in the growth of iRestore? I would say the single biggest lever was figuring out that we can really build trust and reduce skepticism in the market that people are used to seeing stink oil products. And that means getting really good at getting social proof and getting testimonials and before and after photos because you know people really have a bad taste around these kind of products. I think it's kind of like weight loss in a little bit where people you're not sure if it's going to do what it does. You're afraid of getting scammed. So figuring out how to get really good social proof and then getting exposure for those, right? Through paid media, through your website, uh, through influencer videos. It's all about building trust, right? And I, I don't think it's any different for other markets, except we're just in a, a market where there's significant headwinds against us and we need to overcome that trust factor. Interesting. And so building that into your ads, into your landing pages, what do you guys do on the landing page front? I guess you're, pro- you're definitely probably using a lot of sales page testing. Yeah, we're, we're doing a series of sales page testings. It really depends on the channel they're coming in from. Our homepage is kind of designed like a long-form sales page as well in terms of the flow. It's got a lot of content. Usually we have the same elements with trust building, risk reversal with money-back guarantee. We have all the reviews because we're the top reviewed online and on Amazon. So definitely a big call out there. We put UGCs before and afters and, and things like that on there. Other things we run are more educational like, you know, top five reasons, or you have more promo-based stuff as well. And oftentimes we're also working with third-party sites to create stories around ourselves. So just a a slew of different uh, touch points and different angles that that we have to design given the higher AOV item and the the bigger hurdle that we have to overcome in building that trust and, and converting the customer. And then in terms of channels within the D2C sort of marketing space, which channels are currently your strongest? Is Meta still leading the pack? And uh, what's going on on YouTube? I'm always asking. Yeah, so Meta used to be a lion's share of our spend. And uh, since I was 14, we've really shifted more towards other channels. SCM's taken a, a good chunk of that. And YouTube really has a big impact on us. So we're, we're sponsoring YouTube influencers, also running YouTube ads. So it's sort of a two for one. We'll take influencer videos, turn them into ads, retarget those. So we know as people watch influencer videos on hair or skincare and things like that. We, we want to sponsor those. And then they'll see that same face on YouTube and also on Facebook through whitelisting to follow them around the internet, if you will. And then they'll also see another sales page. So it's, it takes a lot of touch points. You want to make sure the same faces that people trust are constantly showing up in different places with different messaging. That's what we do. Funnel continuity. 
hundred percent. I think that's that. That's what you're always trying to do as a marketer, and I think that that makes perfect sense in the in the influencer world. Is this are you using shorts as well? Is shorts a big part of the top of your funnel? We're experimenting with shorts. I can't say that's been successful yet. It's it's driven yeah. pretty cheap CPCs, but conversion is uh, not the best, not yet at least. So, but we realize the importance of investing to short form video in 2023. So that'll certainly be a focus to figure that out, whether it's shorts or TikTok or, or IG Reels. We we know that that's an important focus. Anything going on TikTok yet? TikTok, we've done limited testing, but it's not something we've dived super deep into. Uh, it, there's actually a restriction around medical devices advertising on TikTok, so we have a sort of a big hurdle to jump through there. And I imagine Google is a great source for you guys as well, just because it's so intent based. Yeah, hundred percent. The the intent is definitely there. However, the search volume is quite low. So really, for Google, it's figuring out how can you crack the true high volume keywords, and those are obviously super competitive with hair loss. There's you're competing with all the big boys. You're competing with transplant surgeons. You're competing with the hymns and the keeps of the world who have massive budgets. So it's it's we're certainly fighting headwinds there, but it's it's a channel we're continuing to invest into for sure. Um, talk a little bit about big lessons on tactical versus strategic. Talk about the big strategic win and, and how it can dwarf the tactic sometimes. 100%. Yeah, you know, as, as growth marketers, we uh, often think about growth hacks and how do we do the next split test? How do we run uh, the next creative test and hooks and things like that? But a big lesson I've learned in the last year, year and a half is that we really want to think about ourselves as a business, not just an e-commerce business or just a growth marketing business, right? It's There's so much more levers such as uh, offline channels, such as retailers, and that's something we've been investing into. We got in Costco.com last year, about mid-year, and it's been huge for us. The access to tens of millions of eyeballs uh, that you have access to with Costco, not just .com, but in-store, sponsoring their mailers, getting their email blast out. It was such an awesome moment to see our product on the homepage actually last month of Costco because we ran a promo and it was huge for us. So, And that, that took you know a few emails and a few phone calls. So it's really a big lesson on pulling strategic levers that can really drive that impact versus just tactical growth hack stuff all day. You know, So going to take that lesson into 2023 and, and just looking around to see what other big strategic levers can we pull versus just focusing on the minute and more microscopic view of the business. And then sort of incrementally, what, what does a, something like an established D2C business for a long time, I guess, I guess, uh, how, how big of an impact did Costco make? Yeah, Costco is huge. I mean, for some high level numbers, I think Costco was about 15% our, of our sales last year. And that's coming from nowhere, right? That's a zero to 15%. I wouldn't say overnight, but pretty close to it. So it, it's just like how, how much advertising effort or ad spend would you have to run? How many landing page tests do you have to run to get that kind of impact? Not to mention that the stamp of trust that it builds with someone being Costco, who, by the way, does very rigorous testing with ourselves and our manufacturers before even letting us on there. You know, So that kind of trust, it's, you can't buy that trust, right? And that's a loyal base that you have access to now. Who knows what the downstream factors uh, yeah, it's tough to know. I was going to ask whether there were any specific tips around Costco, but I imagine it's just so much. You said a couple emails. It's knowing who to email, and it's having an amazing product that obviously people love and has a ton of social proof, right? Yeah, the, the secret to getting success on Costco is just getting in. The truth is, after you get in, there's not a ton of levers outside of funding their marketing that they do with the mailers and email blasts and things like that. It's uh, it's a pretty closed ecosystem, so 
there's not a, a lot of things you can do unless you want to run your own paid channels there. But that's not something we're currently doing, as their marketing is much more powerful to access their membership. I just have an idea for you to grow your Costco thing. You've got to get um, any of the sample givers, if there's still samples, uh, who is losing their hair, you could get them to give samples while wearing the device. I think that's a perfect idea. Just grow your hair <laughs> while giving samples out. <laughs> yeah, I then you demo the product, which you don't generally get to do in Costco's. Like, yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. Right now, you're probably looking at conversions in Facebook or Google ads thinking, why doesn't the data line up with my actual sales? Why doesn't more spending bring more customers? What ads are even working? With Northbeam's first-party data and cutting-edge AI, you'll know what ads generated every dollar of revenue across all your channels, all in one platform. Frankly, the best marketers on earth use Northbeam. It's one of our favorite tools and the industry leader in marketing attribution. Visit northbeam.io to see why and mention this podcast for a special deal only for D2C listeners. I wanted to talk a little bit about... Uh, your upcoming rebrand, because I think it, you were talking about the different ways you're going to kind of open the doors of this business in 2023. Talk about kind of what you're thinking about with the rebrand and what it's going to lead to for the iRestore future. Totally. In mid-year this year, we're going to do a big rebrand. So basically everything except the name is changing. We're coming with a new logo. We're coming up with a new website. We're coming up with new products as well. We are really taking a big risk, I think, going forward with this, but I, I think it's a positive one. The goal for the rebrand is for us to really become that big uh, D2C brand and that big presence in retail and physical locations, right? The goal for us is that when someone walks by this on a shelf, let's say in Target or Sephora, they want to stop and pick it up and look at it. And we want the packaging to be so good that you don't want to throw it away after you use a product, right? And we want this to sit on doctor's shelves that catches people's attention. So if we think about advertising and hooks and things like that, well, there, there's a hook there, right, in the physical space. And so that's what we're trying to accomplish is, is just how can we modernize a brand and how can we take advantage of the physical world as that's where we're heading towards in terms of uh, retail shelf space or just having a sit on someone's counter, right? We want that to grab their attention. Whereas current packaging is a little bit more dull. It was our day one packaging on low budget, you know, so it's our big step towards the future that we want to create for the company. It makes me think of snow and how snow kind of went into teeth whitening with a real unboxing experience and a unique applicator and things like that and, and really helped. I can see like the 3D animations of the product, you know, half Apple, half Dyson. What about the new brand as you envision it? Maybe and it's probably not final. You're doing it mid-year. But what's going to be the key difference with this brand itself than what you currently have? Quite a bit, actually. So, you know, our mission is to help people restore confidence and, and build a community of support around that for people online, right? And to become that brand, I think it's important that we have messaging, that we have this brand that people care about, that connect with. And I think right now our brand's a little bit more focused around the idea of the device. It's a little bit more on the masculine side. It's more techie. And the vision that we have for the company is not just a device company. It's, it's one that connects with people on an emotional level and speaks to the issue around hair loss and insecurities and frustrations emotionally. So to do that, our research and our reviews and everything that we've done we're putting that together and manifesting that in the brand, right? It's, it's the messaging, it's educational, it's a little bit funny, not too funny to make sure that we're still sensitive around the problem. And it's something that we just want 
to instantly connect with customers and under, have them understand that this isn't just about a product. We're not here to pitch you a product, but really a better lifestyle for you, one that's without side effects as you go into your hair loss journey, which is a lifelong one, right? It's one that allows us to connect at a deep level with our customers. So that's the goal for the brand. To me, your brand right now is on the male side, probably with the red, with its with its functionality, kind of looks like a Luke Skywalker, you know, space helmet. But like, where are, where do you do you want this new brand to be more accessible to women? Because I imagine they're a big part of the hair loss journey these days as well. Hundred percent, and it's it's so funny because every time I go to conferences or I talk to people, they, they ask me, "Well, is it ninety percent men, or is it all men that your customers?" And the truth is, it's actually pretty even split. And I think women. As a man, I can't speak for women, but what I've observed is that a lot of women just don't talk about hair loss as much. They don't wear it on their heads like men do with our pattern hair loss. It tends to be a little bit more obvious around the crown, the hairline, it goes fast and it goes young. Whereas for women, it's a little bit later in life. And I think that you know women with longer hair cover it up as well. So we don't think of hair loss as a female issue, but the truth is that it is. And 50% of women will lose hair by the age 50. And that's, that's a lot. And that gets worse with age. So truly, we want to become a brand for both men and women, not just a male brand. It's huge green fields for you when you can kind of start catering to that market a little bit more. You're going to get more wins too. Like they're like I, I, you know, I've, I'm probably too far gone with most of my male pattern baldness, but most women are not don't go that far. So you're going to get more success stories potentially as well, higher success rates. Absolutely, with women, it tends to be thinning, especially around the hairline, the the parts and the temples. So it's a lot easier for them to regain their full hair back versus males that oftentimes we wait too long, we, we lose too much hair before we take action. So it's, it's a lot harder for generally all hair loss solutions to bring back to the original thickness that you had. So for women, definitely a, a bigger difference. I'm curious, with a product that you've invested so much into its design, does that complicate the rebrand? Like, are you, act, are you changing the form of the product as well? No, that's one thing that we're not changing, but we are swapping out the logo and we're launching a new version of the device. So there will be some aesthetic changes to the device, but not, not the form itself, as that's something that we're pretty happy with and it does a good job of covering the parts that we need it to. Cool. And then, okay, so you're talking about a new product launch. Which of these products are you most excited about? Which sort of category of product, I guess, you, are you most excited about? Yeah, we're launching a whole line of consumable products in topicals, such as shampoo, serum, conditioner, also supplements as well. I'm super excited about those because we're basically redoing all of our ingredients to improve on them and adding in different things that are more about hair wellness than just hair loss. So adding adaptogens, we're adding in different ingredients, like herbal ingredients and things like that. That just is good for you. And our goal is to not just help you get your hair back with these products, but also improve the general health of your scalp and just help you de-stress the entire environment around hair growth. So I'm super excited about those because I'm personally going to be using those. I know all of our team members are going to be using those as well. What does your launch strategy for, like, when do you plan to go to market with those? We're planning going live in Q3, yeah. In Q3. Is it sort of going to be like, are all products going to be launched at once? Or are you going to launch them one at a time? What, what does your idea of that launch look like? Yeah, so it's going to be incrementals. With the new brand, we're going to launch most of the products that we're developing. And uh, along with that, we're launching a, a new device as well that's going to be the top of the market device. And with those, we think it's going to do really well. The, the attention will be on the new brand. And then from there, we'll also launch a subsequent line around women and women's hair loss. And the goal is to 
separate those so we can kind of direct attention towards the, the big brand launch first, followed by the new product line. Very cool. Okay, so if we were to give you $50,000 for your marketing budget that you got to use in, uh, let's say, even in Q1, you got to use it in Q1, maybe into Q2. Ah, no, you know what? You can use it anytime this year. If you want to use it for your launch, you can. What would you do that with that $50,000 outside of your budget? Yeah, well, we certainly invest in more than 50000 but if I were to allow 50000 it would be, I think the main thing is you want to have a really solid Shopify theme that's really fast, right? So we can pick one that is already in the store and just spend 5000 or $10,000 to improve on that with design talent. With a smaller budget, we probably go overseas in Eastern Europe to, to find a good agency to work with. And then, you know, I think landing page testing is a big part of that as well. Probably create three landing pages, one around teaser for the launch, a couple sales pages, tease up to the launch a few weeks before, launch with the promo landing pages, figure out what converts, take those lessons and iterate into the website. And then I think assets is a pretty obvious one. You want to have really, really solid assets. We want to really... Uh, stunning visuals, uh, really cool videos, 3D animations. So you could probably get that done for around 10K between a smaller shoot and, and some sort of 3D animation. The rest I would probably put into just influencers, UGC, you know, advertising, of course, we want to invest into that and just figuring out what messaging works, what design resonates, and then just getting a lot of creators on board, right? As I mentioned earlier, it's all about social proof. It's all about seeing other people use it. And so, you know, different types of experiences, unboxing, testimonials, right? It's uh, just more experimental type of videos to go with a new short form video revolution. So that's where I invest a lot of effort into is, is creatives as well. Have you ever tested the phone? Have you ever tested, like, do you have a phone option on the site? Do people ever call about the product? We do, yes. How does that, does that get used a lot? Yeah, you know what? It, it doesn't get used as much as uh, we'd like to. A lot of people, I think nowadays, like to just text or, or live chat, which we do have that option for seven days a week. So given that our audiences are, I think, a little bit younger, just given the, the demographics that we advertise towards on uh, social and whatnot. So I think uh, people like myself, uh, I don't like talking to people on the phone, so I think a lot of our customers also do the same thing. So they prefer live chat or SMS versus getting on the phone. Very cool. What does your, uh, what does your email strategy look like? with Because again, it's all about keeping people in the environment, I guess, right? Totally, yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the typical stuff, right? We have campaigns going out three, four times a week. We have all the flows set up. Your standard stack, you have the welcome flow, you have browse abandonment, abandonment cart, all those things. And uh, we also have a quiz on site, so that's a key part of the funnel as well. We do personalization based on that with male, female, those kind of things. You want to deliver them to uh, a special results page that actually is personalized for them, as well as follow emails both from uh, an automation standpoint as well as a customer service agent standpoint to further that conversation. We also offer to just evaluate photos for their hair loss conditions, and that's that's not an automation, that's a real person looking at photos to see if this is something that can help them. So it's really a lot of education, right? It starts with what are we about as a brand, right? It's about restoring confidence. What's the product about, right? Why us? Right? Why do we have the best devices on the market? Why do you want to use this over drugs and surgery and things like that? And then it's a lot of social proof, clinical study, doctors, right? So you sort of go through that journey of explaining what it is, building trust with doctors and testimonials, and then you go into selling and, and promos and things like that. Very cool. Um, AI is something I just like to bring up in all the conversations I'm having these days. What are some of the coolest uses either that you're using or that you've seen uh, other brands in the space use in AI to grow their business? Well, one of the things that 
I haven't used but I'm entertaining is the idea of using AI to allow people to upload photos and then generate hair onto their their balding head. So imagine someone that's losing their uh, crown hair, you can fill that in with AI instantly. How powerful is that for them to see their own image with a a full head of hair, right? Before and afters are great, but what about before and afters for the person that's actually engaging with your website? So I think that's a a clear winner that I would be doing once we figure out the technology side. And I think that's one of the easier use cases for, for AI. Beyond that, of course, it's all the, the CS and all those types of things, but there, there's so much more beyond I can even imagine today. You mentioned, just I'll just even share with the audience, you mentioned a something called brandmark.io, which is one that I haven't seen yet before. And you said this is specifically for logos. That's right. So we did embark on a rebrand exercise about a year ago. And had I known about this, we might have made uh, different decisions that uh, could have saved us a little bit of money. So if you go to brandmark.io, you can actually just type in your company name, your slogan, and just a few keywords. And it's going to take that and spit out a ton of logos that you can look at. And uh, we did that uh, a little bit. I was playing around with it and noticed that a lot of those logos actually look pretty damn good compared to what we got. So just as good as the ones that we have. So. You know, if you're on a low budget, I would really invest into AI technology. I know you can also generate a whole brand book as well. So it's uh, 2023 rebranding looks a little bit different from 2021, 2022. Look out 99 designs. I, when I was getting started with a bunch of like, you know, startups, we re, would always go to 99 designs to get a logo made pretty cheap. But now AI can do that lickety split. That's wild. Nice, man. Well, thanks for coming on the DDC podcast. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumer, all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.